0: You know, this series, Address the Mess, it kind of reminds me of the show Hoarders. You remember that one? Be- because if you don't ever address the mess, that is what you become. In fact, I was doing some research about a specific type of hoarder, um, and uh, I found Terry from Illinois. Um, Terry, who was hoarding, can you see him? Cats. 75 Cats. Um, Cats that she didn't know what to do with when their lives were over. I won't go into that. But she had cats, and it really messed up her house. Uh, What's really interesting is that cat hoarding must be a thing. I mean, it was documented on the Secret Life of Pets. Um, uh, Maybe you saw that scene. It's interesting that Terry's story was a couple years ago, but if you just search right now about cat hoarding, You'll find a man in Colorado recently incarcerated because he had 75. You'll find another one in New Jersey who had over 100, um, and they went to the Humane Society because they weren't being taken care of, right? And, um, and, and I guess for me, at one point or another, with every cat that you bring in, there has to be something that says, I'm making a mess, right? I, I mean, I don't know how many of you have pets, Getting the first pet, that first dog, I'm making a mess. And with every other pet that you bring in, there has to be this accounting. This is going to get worse. Right? Why do I bring this up? Um, Maybe there are some cat hoarders, I'm not sure. Pet hoarders, I don't know. Uh, but, But here's what I do think is happening in our lives. We know what it is to create our own mess. Don't we? For example, um, Maybe it was dating a while back, and you knew someone who was a hot mess, and they invited you or asked you, and your better sense says, no, I'm not going, no, that's going to, I know it, that's, uh uh-uh, but you say yes anyway. Maybe for you, it's a financial mess, and you're shopping, and you're like, but this looks so good. I know we don't have money, but it looks so good, and so you swipe it anyway to deal with the mess later. Uh, maybe it's on a weekend and um, you have the gift of alcohol, which in moderation can be okay, but you know you're at your limit and you say, well, let's just do one more. We get mess. In fact, what, what I think we are by nature is this young guy. See, we have mess all around us. We have the sand. We have all the opportunities. And what we often do is we like to pick up the sand and put it in our hair. We like to put it in our shirt. We like to rub it all around, right? And so my very first simple takeaway is this. You can avoid a mess by not making one. How about it? Yeah, you can actively avoid it if you're not putting the sand in your hair, right? If you're not going past those limits that your common sense have given you. And that's a little bit of what I want to talk to you about today. How do we avoid making our own messes? And I'm so glad we have the word of God to direct us because the word of God is so helpful. And by the way, if you're new in this environment, maybe you're just watching, you're you're new to Christianity, this is the major mess that God has cleaned up. It's our sin. And the cross of Jesus has covered every one of our sins to make us clean. And and that is completely on Jesus, and it's not on us. We are saved completely by grace. It's a gift, no strings attached. So you have a right to that peace today because of the cross of Jesus. You have the right to, to walk out clean today. But as I go further into what we call our lives of sanctification, lives lived out of thanks to the Lord, as I go further, when you get into the word of God, you find so many directives that are so good. In fact, um, Jesus, he had this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to live clean, you should just live by the Sermon on the Mount. I I mean, some of the principles were this, blessed are the peacemakers, because if you're about giving peace to others, that's how you avoid mess. He said, don't commit adultery. Because if you want to avoid some heartache and some mess, don't go into that. He said, love enemies. If you love your enemies, you can avoid a lot of mess. He gave us rules on how not to worry because birds are, are fed and, and flowers are clothed. And he taught so many wonderful things. But here was his epic conclusion, the capstone of his teaching. He talked about builders. And maybe you've heard this. One built a house on the sand, and one built a house on the rock. Storms came to both houses, just as life is. You can't avoid the storm. You're you're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or approaching a storm. That's life. And when the storm came to the house built on sand, do you know what happened? Mess. Utter debacle. When the storm came to the house that was built on the rock, what happened? It stood. It avoided falling. And here's what Jesus had to say about that. Jesus said, So this is what it's like. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and, can you say this with me? Puts them into practice is like that man who built his house on the rock. See, it isn't just enough to know what to do. It's how you actually do it. (laughs) If you want to keep it clean in your life, it it is about actually implementing the Word of God that you know and have kept in your heart. In fact, Jesus' brother named James, he said this as well. Uh, James, he put it this way. He said, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, through the lens of God's Word. And welcome again to our series, Address the Mess. If you were here last week, uh, we started with ourselves. We had this concept that we're all messy, we're all dealing with something. And as we get into it even more this week, I wanted to share with you kind of one big principle, one big takeaway, that if you consider it and follow it, you can avoid a ton of messes. So to get into it, we're going to read from the book of Galatians, Paul's words to Christians in Galatia. And out of respect for the word of God, I'm just going to invite you to stand. So here Paul says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. This is the powerful word of God. Did you see the principle? It's the principle of reaping and sowing. That we reap what we sow. Before you sit down, can you just say out loud or to someone next to you, Jesus sowed something for you? Jesus sowed something for you? Please be seated. So I'm just wondering how many of you have ever heard of karma? Yeah? Uh, karma is this idea of what comes around, goes around. Um, and, uh, and, and really, we use karma in a lot of different circumstances, um, For instance, if you're involved in a hit-and-run and and that person did not own up to what they did, uh, those who believe in karma will say, well, they have something coming to them. Um, It's a reason that we put good into the world. You put good in and you get good out is a phrase that people say. I came across some uh, real-life examples of karma. And uh, one example was um, this man who was homeless. And the man who was homeless... um, He actually found a a $4,000 ring and he returned it to the owner. The owner was so thankful that she started a a funding page and raised $180,000 so that this homeless man would no longer be homeless. You put good in, you get good out. Um, The next one we have, um, we have um, a hunter. Uh, His name is actually Ian Hunter. Sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties. (laughs) Um, Ian Hunter, um, who was known for hunting elephants, um, actually was trampled by an elephant um, as he was measuring one of its tusks. Um, So is there karma in this world? You know, it's interesting how um, the Bible speaks. And when it comes to the idea of karma, grace breaks it up. When it comes to grace, grace is this concept that we don't get what we deserve. Grace is that what we put in is not what we get out. We wouldn't want to get out of it what we put in. We don't want what our sins deserve. And so grace is the the cosmic breakup of karma. But if you're listening to the words today, the words do talk a little bit about getting what you deserve. I don't know if you saw that. And so I I wanted to kind of debunk karma and give you a better principle. Are you ready for the better principle than karma? It's the first verse. Paul said, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Better than the idea of karma is the idea that everything you do, God has an eye on. Everything you're about, God sees and knows how to appropriate. It reminds me of a conversation I had with friends who went to Singapore. If you know anything about the country, they're really tight when it comes to their laws. In fact, they have cameras everywhere so that whenever anyone is a lawbreaker, it takes about three minutes for them to be found and picked up. God's kind of like that. God is that eye in the sky who sees everything, and he knows how to appropriate. And so the first takeaway, as you're taking notes today, is this. We should keep it clean because God sees. Now, if you're about good things, this is what it means. Maybe there was a time where you gave and you sacrificed and you spent some for someone else. And no one said thank you. And it seemed like no one noticed. But that isn't true. God saw it. And he knows how to appropriate it. For others, maybe it's uh, what someone did to you. And you're living and you're saying, man, it seems like they're getting off the hook. It seems like no one knows what what truly was done and, and no one's appropriating it. It seems like they're just fine. They're just happy. But what about me? And God says, no, that's not right. I'm a just God. And I know how to appropriate that. You know, finally, what it does, it, it checks our sinful nature. If we deceive ourselves and we think, well, no one else knows what's going on, so God would never know. God speaks to us today and says, whatever you're trying to hide, whatever you think you get away with, I see. And so, one of the reasons we want to keep it clean is because God sees. You know, a story that I was reading uh, about this concept was a story of a man named Cornelius. And uh, Cornelius in the New Testament, um, he, uh, he was given this great privilege by God. And that privilege was to go to a man named Peter and to be kind of the first Gentile to hear the gospel. Peter had just been given this vision that even Gentiles should hear about Jesus It was this vision about clean and unclean foods and that he should kill and eat because God has made everything clean. It was basically saying Jesus is for everyone. And the reason that Cornelius got this privilege, well, it tells us. The passage is this. It said that your prayers and your gifts to the poor have gone up as a memorial before God. God appropriated what Cornelius had done, had seen the gifts that he brought. I was reading the same thing about Solomon. And so Solomon, um, you might know this time where God showed up and said, ask whatever you want and I'll give it. Do you know what preceded that? A thousand burnt offerings. He had gone to Gibeon where the tabernacle was and offered a thousand burnt offerings. And then the Lord asked, what do you want? God sees, and he knows how to appropriate what's going on. And so then he gives us this great reaping and sowing principle. You reap what you sow, and and that's so true in so many circumstances of life. When it comes to music, if you've ever tried to play an instrument, isn't it true that you have to sow quite a bit before you reap? That when it comes to playing an instrument, you don't just go to the piano and jam and are a virtuoso or play the trumpet that way or guitar that way. You have to sew a lot. In fact, I was doing some research on Mozart, if you could bring up his picture. And uh, here he is, maybe you heard of him. At 17, he had conducted quite a few symphonies. Um, At 18, he wrote an opera that was successful. Um, And do you know when it was actually sewn into him, this gift of music? Next slide. He was four years old. His dad was a composer and said, at four years old, I'm going to start sewing into Mozart so that at 17, the world would know him. He'd have his first job, but he had to sow before he reaped. Same with a man named Claude Monet. I Recently, he went to the uh, d- display at the Art Institute. Now, seeing some of his early work, can you pull up some of his early work? It's this. And it's so funny because, do you you remember going to Six Flags and they have those artists who do like the big head and the family? And so I had this moment where I'm like, Monet was one of those guys? Like, come on over, I'll draw your nose, uh, you know, like, but you had to start somewhere. And isn't that true that you have to sow quite a bit before you reap something better? And where have you learned that? For you, I, I just wonder, maybe for you it was a time where you were saving up and it was financial and you knew you had to sow quite a bit in order to reap what you wanted. Retirement, the car, a house. Maybe for you, you are on a health kick. And yeah, you'd love to do a 180 in a day for your health. That doesn't happen. You had to sow quite a bit in order to get to that perfumed future. That happens with school. That happens with Education, so many areas of life. And so God, he he shares with us this verse. He says, A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What our next takeaway is, is then, keep it clean with an eye on what you sow. God looks at our lives and he sees and he says, What you sow, you will reap. So then, as we draw this in our lives, I have to ask a question what, what are you sowing? You just, I don't know if we do enough self-reflection. In this season, I just wanted to ask it, and I don't know what your answer is, but what are you sowing in this season? Financially. Are you sowing in such a way so that your future is going to be stronger? When it comes to your body, are you sowing in such a way so that you're going to be healthier and honor God with the body He gave? When it comes to your relationships, are you sowing with love and patience in such a way that you're going to reap strong, beneficial, fruitful relationships in the future? What are you sowing? But as we gathered in church, you might know as a pastor, I think the the top, the biggest thing we should always keep our eye on is spiritually. Right now, when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, what you're doing, what you're about, are you sowing strength for the future? In the way you pray, in the way you read the word, in the way you dedicate yourself to making him come first over everything. Love God with all your heart. Are you sowing a strong spiritual life for the future, that you can reap those results? Or is it possible that we're sowing rotten things? Is it possible that that what we're doing might lead to reaping some rotten fruit in our relationships, in our spiritual circumstances, by what's going on in our life? You know, I was reading the cautionary tale of David. Maybe you know his story. And a lot of it is good. He was a man after God's own heart. But I remember uh, reading this verse, and it kind of struck me like, "Uh uh-oh. It said, when he became a king, he took with him many wives. And that's when I said, "Uh uh-oh. Now, number one, because I had read David's story before. But number two, just let me ask you, what would many romantic relationships lead to? You don't have to watch The Bachelor to figure this one out. If you have many romantic relationships, aren't you, by nature of that, sowing disharmony? Aren't you, by nature of that, doesn't something say, you're sowing jealousy and you're going to reap that rotten fruit? And so in David's life, you know what happens? That verse was in one chapter. Years later, he has a son named Amnon who does something with a daughter named Tamar that I don't even like to tell to congregations. And then there was a son named Absalom who was so mad about what Amnon did that he killed Amnon. So a son kills a son. And then there's a son named Adonijah who knows the kingdom is supposed to go to Solomon, but Adonijah doesn't care. There's so much disunity, disharmony from what David had sown that he tries to steal the kingdom from Solomon until David has to make it right. And so for all of us, do we know what it is to have sown something and reap the rotten fruit of it? Unfortunately, according to the sinful nature, we know it. But did I tell you about grace? Because grace breaks up this hard and fast principle of reaping and sowing. Grace is what sinners need. And it's what we find in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something that breaks up this principle, this promise in 2 Corinthians. Look at what it says. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus had sown so that he could reap eternal glory and power and might. And yet he gave it all up and he sowed something for us here. He sowed righteousness and forgiveness for us. And the gospel is this. The gospel is that Jesus reaped what sin sowed on the cross. So sinners could reap what Jesus sowed from the cross. And we build our our message, our church, on this story that God doesn't treat sinners as we deserve, none of us could stand if that was the case. He treats us so much better than we deserve. And you are forgiven and you are clean. Maybe if you're watching online, this is the biggest thing you need to take away today and you've been trying so hard to keep it clean and you know you haven't. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus again has covered your sin and has made you right with a holy God. But before we go, there's still so much good here. There's so much we can apply when it comes to our lives of sanctification and reaping and sowing. And so to continue, I wanted to tell you a story of a a time I tried to create a a beautiful birthday memory. Um, I know right now to celebrate birthdays, you just go on Facebook and you write, on Facebook, happy birthday, and go from there. Um, but before there was Facebook, I remember a relative being over at our house, and we were having a conversation about favorite foods. And this person used to work at Einstein Bagels, and they had shared with me that their favorite bagel from Einstein Bagels was this. It was an orange mango bagel. And they said they would only make a select few of them at like 5 a.m. when it first opened. You know, maybe a couple dozen, but not enough, so that if you got there at 7, they they're usually sold out. And so after hearing that story, um, and this person's birthday was the next day, I had an idea. Let's hunt for an orange mango bagel. And so I search around the Milwaukee area, and first of all, I find an Einstein Bagels, And, and then I call them in the wee hours of the morning, and I say, are you making the orange mango? And they're like, yes, only a couple dozen. you got to get here quick. And so I race, and I get them, and I race back to show them all to create this beautiful memory I don't know if it stuck, Heather, but anyway, we tried. Uh, and, And it was really good. It was good to be consumed by this mission to create a special memory for someone else. Why do I bring up this story? I think that when we know what people like and dislike, when we use our information in order to try to serve them well, to love them, to make a lasting impact of good. I don't know what better mission you could be on. I don't know what better activity there is to do. Yeah, you might spend some time for yourself, collecting yourself. But in general, I think the drumbeat of a Christian's life is using all the things they know about everything going on around them and saying, I'm going to be up to some good today. That's going to be my mission. In fact, that's what Paul told us to do. He said, so as you have opportunity based on the relationships you're in, the job you work at, uh, the, the season that you're in, as that opportunity arises, do good. To everyone, don't rule anyone out. But then especially those who are near to you, especially to the believers. I think of that correlation in a marriage. You, you know who you should be the best to, not the worst to? Your spouse. Your spouse. The one that's closest, the one you spend the most time with, that should be the drumbeat. It's trying to do good to those around you. And so the next takeaway is this. Keep it clean by keeping your eye out for good. I remember talking to a teen and the teen was saying, Pastor, I'm going to look for my one good thing to do today. It's awesome. And how does this address the mess? Well, Let's talk about that. When it comes to any relationship, is it possible that sometimes relationships go sideways? Is that possible? Experience that? But if you have a track record of doing good, if you have a track record of showing your heart when it goes sideways and there's a question, can they not interpret it? No, this person loves me. This person is good. That's going to address that mess. Or when you are about good things... Who argues about that? Who comes home to their spouse and says, you would not believe how generous they were to me today? I cannot believe. I don't know if they're trying to prove how good they are, but they gave me this incredible bouquet of flowers, and it was just, who do they think they are? That doesn't happen. Or maybe something went wrong, and you really needed someone to forgive you, and and you met someone who, who did and was so lavish with forgiveness, and and you have a hard time being angry at that. How can you oh, I can't believe they forgave me. <laughs> the gall. Oh. No. When we're on a mission to do what is good, that addresses the mess and covers over a multitude of it. That's the mission. That's the heartbeat. That's the drum that we should set based on the opportunities given all around us. And isn't it true that people will pick up on if you're trying to be good to them? Isn't that true? People can sense when you're trying to be good to them. In fact, we have a phrase for it. Your reputation precedes you. So I have an example of this. Um, My good friend, I call him Timmy, uh, Tim Tebow, tight. Um, He's got a, a reputation that precedes him, doesn't he? Um, helping the orphans in the Philippines, um, doing so much when it comes to spreading the gospel. And um, in our circles, there's this college called WLC in Milwaukee. And we had people who had a chance to meet Tim Tebow recently. Um, I had a picture of a guy named Brian Davison. um, And and, uh, you might know him from Koine. We've had Koine here quite a few times. And he already knew about Tim Tebow. And Tim only needed to deny or confirm that reputation. And look what happened. He confirmed it. This guy is legit. Strong Christian man using the opportunities God gives him to help those um, who, who need help the most. Very genuine and kind in person as well. It was an honor to meet him. I bring this up because I think if we're doing the drumbeat I was talking about, it isn't just Tim Tebow who should have a reputation that precedes him. It's all of us who go into our familiar relationships and have a reputation for doing good. It's all of us who go into the workplace and people just know we're trying to be good. It's all of us who go back to neighborhoods and they know you're trying to be good to them. We should have a reputation that precedes us as we try to sow the good. But a final takeaway. It's one of the promises that gives us so much hope. It's this idea of harvesting. And I know if we were maybe even 100 years ago, this would make a lot more sense. Um, I have a picture of scattering the seed. And and so if you're farming, you might know if if you scatter seed over 50 acres versus 5, when you scatter over 50, you're going to expect more of a harvest than over 5. And and with that principle then, it kind of tells us, well, how much good should we about? When should we give up? Um, When is enough? How much do you want to reap? How generous should I be? How kind and patient? How forgiving should I be? Well, how much do you want to reap? How many people should we reach as far as sharing the gospel? Um, How much gospel should we share? How many different avenues? Well, how much do you want to reap? Because look at what God promises don't become weary. Don't become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, when God says it's time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And so the final principle is this. Keep it clean because God promises a harvest. It's one of the reasons we call the second pastor. Because God in Scripture had this promise. You know, the fields, they're ripe but those workers, they're few. If you would send out more workers into the harvest field, then the sheaves could be brought in. God keeps his word on the promise. And so I wonder where that's prompting you. Maybe it's an area of service and you're like, you know what? I am just done serving the Lord. (laughs) Someone else, right? Right? And maybe God is nudging you, okay, you know what, There are seasons, but what do you want to reap? Because if you're still about the good, what you can reap is the harvest. Maybe for some of you it's generosity, and you're like, "Ah, wow, how generous should I be? Do I really want to stretch myself that far? What do you want to reap? You can't outgive give the giver. Maybe there are some who are like, I'm going to change my relationship. You know, truth and grace, and I'm going to be a little bit more truth, I'm sick of the patience and kindness. What do you want to reap? God promises a harvest if we don't give up. If the drumbeat of our lives is continuing to do good and show good to those around us based on the good that Jesus gave for us. May God so propel you to implement the sowing and reaping principle And now let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, the first thing I want to do is I want to praise you for grace. Grace breaks up this principle because we are saved completely by what you sowed and not by us. But in this world, we don't believe in karma. We just believe that you know how to appropriate everything as a just God. So empower us by your Spirit to sow righteousness and sow from your Spirit so that the harvest can be about your glory, the harvest can be about the good that we put in the world. Forgive us for the times that we failed at this and empower us once again by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.